0: on Local Now, Channel 525.
1: Today on the Town Hall Review with Hugh Hewitt, brought to you in partnership with the Pepperdine Graduate School of Public Policy. Congressman Mike Gallagher, chairman of our select committee on the
2: Chinese Communist Party. Why am I learning about things as a member of the Intel Committee, Armed Services Committee, from the Montana Billings Gazette. China Specialist Gordon
3: Shang. It it shows the failure of the Pentagon to understand um, the Chinese threat. Freshman Congressman Max Miller has not been impressed
1: with the Biden administration's claims of transparency. Bob, what they told us is nothing. They told us absolutely nothing. From the lack of transparency to the weaponization of the federal government, the 118th Congress is pushing back. House Judiciary Committee Jim Jordan
0: used to be Democrats valued the First Amendment, valued particularly the right to speak in a political fashion and not be harassed for doing so, Uh, but that doesn't seem to be
1: the case now. All this and more. I'm Hugh Hewitt. Great to be with you. Catch my radio program each weekday live from 6 to 9 a.m. Eastern Time and on demand 24-7. Learn more at HughHewitt.com. And follow me on Twitter, please, at Hugh Hewitt. Follow this program as well, at Town Hall Review. We'll start with the continued fallout of the surveillance balloon from China that floated across Alaska, Canada, and the entire lower 48 before was shot down off the coast of South Carolina on February 4. We are still learning more about the subsequent sightings and takedowns of the other smaller airborne objects. But I hope, I hope the American people have seen enough to recognize that we're well into another challenging chapter in our nation's history. The reason we need the new Select Committee on the Chinese Communist Party. Wisconsin Congressman Mike Gallagher is the chair of this new committee. He was a guest on my
2: program. What do we know about what the Chinese are doing in our skies? Here's the bottom line. I think there, there are a few questions that remain unanswered. Well, first, there is the first incident, which is the Chinese spy balloon incident, which is probably the most troubling. And now we have these three subsequent shootdowns. Uh, including one that transited over Wisconsin and was ultimately shot down over Lake Huron. For the the latter three, the recovery effort is still underway. And until we recover the material, until we analyze it, we're not going to know where it came from or whether it was a, a spy balloon or some sort of other unidentified aerial phenomenon. Now, if it turns out that these were the subsequent three were from foreign adversaries, that would be a big deal. I've spoken with people at the highest level, and they understand that that would be a big deal, particularly if if it was revealed that these were all from China. But we don't have that information yet. For the first incident, I have not yet been satisfied with answers to basic questions such as, why didn't we shoot it down earlier? If we figured out how to shoot it down without risk of civilian casualties, why didn't we shoot it down? Why would we have known about it if it weren't for the intrepid reporting of the Montana Billings Gazette? Would I, why am I learning about things as a member of the Intel Committee, Armed Services Committee, from the Montana Billings Gazette? Would the administration have revealed this to us, or would it let the balloon lazily drift over the United States so as not to imperil Secretary Blinken's visit to China? And finally, and perhaps what is unknowable, is whether the CCP and Xi Jinping intentionally timed this espionage effort. Uh, with Secretary Blinken's visit to send a message to us, a message such as, here's what we can do to you and get away with, and you'll do nothing. So there's a lot of questions to you. I guess if I could add one more thing. Um, we've had reports of UAPs for years. It's why Congress set up an office called Arrow and, con- and-, and forced the administration to take this issue seriously. Now, I know a lot of people dismiss it because it instantly becomes a talk about aliens, But here's the reality. Things are showing up on our training ranges. They're fouling our ranges, like the ranges our pilots fly around to train on, and we don't know what they are. If for no other reason than we want our pilots to be safe, that's a problem. And these latter three incidents may reveal that this stuff is happening at a scale that we didn't understand before because we have no process for detecting and neutralizing these things when they appear on our ranges. Chairman, are you surprised that we do not have the ability to
1: net these? And by that, I mean, I'm not talking about Wiley E. Coyote and Acme uh, Inc. and the devices that go wrong. But when we wanted the Soviet submarine that sunk, uh, Howard Hughes built the Glomar Explorer in 1971. It deployed in 1973, and we had a Soviet submarine in 1974. In three years, we went from, hey, we got to get that, to having it and and grabbing it. How can we not be able to grab a balloon?
2: It's a balloon. Initially, the suggestion was that, well, these are too high altitude in order to net and grab it, to which I suggest we'll bring it down to a lower altitude. But the first one, I think, was at 60,000 feet or less, less. So that shouldn't pose an issue. So this should be that kind of Apollo 13 moment where you lock all the nerds in a room and say, you know, if we don't have this capability already, We better darn well develop it because this won't be the last time we're dealing with things like this. And indeed, the best option would be for us to gain control of it without destroying it. So we can grab it, look under the hood, see what's going on, reverse engineer technology if we wanted to do that or use it uh, for the purpose of educating the American people as to what we're facing in the Chinese Communist Party. There are times, of course, Hugh, when we need to err on the side of secrecy. Particularly when you're dealing with sensitive sources and methods. But I think now is a time that demands transparency. I think once the Pentagon and the FBI and the Intelligence Committee are finished analyzing the debris that we've recovered off the coast of the Carolinas, I think they should put that thing on display. I think they should take it on a tour of the United States and, and say, here's what the Chinese Communist Party is doing to us. They have no respect for our sovereignty. They're flying balloons over the continental United States. Uh, this is who we're dealing with in the CCP. And don't believe, you know, all this, uh, don't believe the charm offensive that we've seen in recent weeks from the CCP.
1: Chairman Gallagher, there's a specific claim that made that has been made that I'd like you to speak to, and I'm not going to comment on I want to hear you speak to it, which is not to worry they've got satellites. They get to see it anyway. Is there any additional spy capability that comes with a balloon at 60, 40, 20,000 feet? Or should we just throw the country open because they've got spy satellite? It made no sense to me. What do you think of that claim?
2: Uh, I think it's totally bogus uh, to use a, uh, a gentler term than the one that came to my mind. Um, I can't comment on the specific capabilities, but imagine this. Okay, let, let's just say this was completely innocuous or it had limited collection capability. In fact, let's just say it didn't. It couldn't collect anything that you couldn't get with commercial imagery and, and $10. Well, it doesn't take a, a massive stretch of your imagination to think about how they could use such a balloon in a wartime scenario, either to confuse us, to get inside our OODA loop, our decision-making cycle, or potentially to weaponize a balloon. My point is this, even if this particular balloon had limited intelligence collection value you got to think about this in terms of one key part of an overall uh, architecture that the pla could use in a wartime scenario in order to get inside our decision-making cycle or in order to identify targets for the pla rocket force to strike and there was a great financial times article that talked about how this is already being incorporated into PLA rocket force doctrine. How in 2018 there was a video of a balloon that actually had missiles on it that has subsequently disappeared from Chinese social media. So I don't buy that that uh, dismissing of it, and it also contradicts the narrative now, which is, oh my gosh, we're getting this is an intelligence bonanza. We're geniuses for letting this thing drift over the United States so as to shoot it down over the Atlantic and and collect it again. So it doesn't make any sense.
1: Last question. Are you worried that that balloon array, which drifted specifically to Montana and other um, uh, triad fields of strategic nuclear weaponry, that they are getting the capability to jam and disable our strategic forces via information... uh, interjection, that they can screw up our circuitry, they can blow the fuses, they can be like Dwayne and throw the power off. Do they have the ability to to sort of EMP on a localized basis and stop us from deploying weaponry?
2: Short answer is I don't yet know if they have that level of capability, but it does strike me as a coincidence on the level of, or maybe almost on the level of a, a pandemic emerging in Wuhan near the Wuhan Institute of Virology that these things were spotted near Malmstrom and some of our most sensitive military bases. In other words, I don't think it was a coincidence.
1: Gordon Chang has been warning about the rising threat from China for over two decades now. We talked about the latest with Sebastian Gorka.
4: The mainstream has been debating what that first balloon was doing, this massive, this 200-foot balloon. Uh, why it was stopping over those various very sensitive sites, such as the the missile sites the the issue more is the probing test of our national security architecture, the lack of response until the first vessel was over the water and had executed its surveillance mission and then beyond that, the tertiary effect for me is how this ostensibly successful surveillance mission over our sovereign airspace how that is packaged for those nations China wants to intimidate or bring into its one belt, one road global hegemonic system. It's, it's more the how it is communicated that is uh, rather important than exactly what was picked up. What is, what is your response?
3: Yeah, there's a lot to unpack there. Um, first of all, um, China learned something from this balloon that it could not from any other platform. And that is it saw the reactions of certain general officers, saw the reaction of NORAD and the reaction of the Pentagon leadership in general to an obvious intrusion into American airspace. Um, And so that was invaluable. Um, The other thing is that, of course, its imagery is better from a balloon than from a satellite because balloons at 60,000 feet. Satellite is what, four or five hundredths, maybe even higher, uh, 100,000 feet the the thing though um and that is propaganda which you mentioned and that is also probably one of the motives that china had because china was showing to the world that the united states was not capable of defending its own airspace um and really what that narrative could very well end up being is beijing saying to other countries look you got to ditch the us you got to obey china because we're in charge and the americans are finished so Um, There are any number of different benefits that China could have gotten from this. And we don't know exactly the motives for this, um, but we have to start assuming that uh, what we just talked about are are some of the things that ran through their minds before they authorized this. Um, It it shows the failure of the Pentagon to understand um, the Chinese threat and whether that threat is Japan, Philippines, India, Taiwan. Um, South Korea or the United States. It it just showed, um, you know, general officers not being able to make decisions, which um, they they made decisions, which I can't explain.
1: There's more of that conversation between Sebastian Gorka and Gordon Chang. Go to townhallreview.com. Coming up, the 118th Congress looks to bring a measure of
5: accountability. And that's why we've done things like establish the Frank Church Committee to look into the weaponization of the Department of Justice and the FBI. When the Town Hall Review returns in a moment,
1: Celebrating our 25th anniversary, the Pepperdine Graduate School of Public Policy invites you to learn from one of our beloved teachers, Dr. Gordon Lloyd, in a four-part webinar series titled The Roots of Political Economy, Capitalism versus Socialism. This free video series teaches foundational principles of free markets, as well as the philosophers behind socialism. Find out more at go.pepperdine.edu slash capitalism. That's go.pepperdine.edu slash capitalism. Welcome back to the Town Hall Review with Hugh Hewitt. The Select Committee on the Chinese Communist Party, the one that we looked at in our last segment, is a bipartisan committee, widely supported in its construction by both sides of the House. We ought to be thankful that it is bipartisan, because Americans, left, right, and center, need to come together on the China threat if we're going to be effective in facing that challenge in the 21st century. But the committee exists because the Republicans won a majority in the House of Representatives. A narrow majority, yes, but a majority nonetheless. One freshman in the new majority is Max Miller, representing Ohio's 7th District, southwest of Cleveland. He was a guest of Bob France on AM 1420, The Answer, there in Cleveland.
4: Are you finding it to be what you expected it to be, or is it worse in terms of you know what you've been able to observe, what you've been able to learn. You are in a learning curve right now, of course, as a freshman, but is it, is it what you thought it would be or better or worse?
5: My perspective on this, I believe, is a little bit different, and it's not because I'm special. Um, no one is for that matter. But being at the White House for four years and then taking a breather for two and then now being a member of the House of Representatives, I can tell you one thing, and that's I fundamentally believe that the executive branch has too much power. And it's something that we need to look into Congress on how to limit the executive power of the president. And I believe this president is really, you know, going under the Dick Cheney doctrine, which is presidents can do whatever the heck that they want without being held accountable. And what we're seeing right now from this administration is they are withholding information to the American people and from Congress. You saw the senators come out of their briefing and they said this is a complete joke. In Congress and in the House of Representatives, we also had a briefing over the phone. That's not sensitive. That's not classified. That is just happy crap that they want to you know, say, OK, we bricked every member of the House of Representatives. So now you can go home to your constituency and you can tell them what we just told you. Well, unfortunately, Bob, what they told us is nothing. They told us absolutely nothing. So when constituency, you know, when everyone asks, hey, Max, what are, you know, what are they telling you about these UFOs? What are they telling you about these train derailments across the country? They're telling us nothing. And it's on purpose. I fundamentally believe they're withholding this information from the American people, even though every American by this point has had some type of visual on a UFO and have definitely seen these train derailments within our country. And they've yet to comment on it. And they've yet to read in members of Congress, both Senate and the House of Representatives, into what is really happening into our country. I fear that this man is using disinformation to continue to pull the wool over the American people's eyes and this country is now burning because of it. And it's incredibly upsetting to see, and that's why I'm glad that we're there. And that's why we've done things like establish the Frank Church Committee to look into the weaponization of the Department of Justice and the FBI, and Biden himself and his entire family that's crime ridden. These are the things that we're going to be uncovering and finally holding this administration accountable and getting the truth to Ohio 7, the rest of the state of Ohio and the entire country.
1: This select subcommittee on weaponization of the federal government is one we need to be watching closely another ohio congressman will be heading it up jim jordan is the new chairman of the judiciary committee he's also the chairman of that select subcommittee jordan was a guest on my program in january in the richmond field office of the fbi a quote intelligence analyst wrote a memo it's been withdrawn are you going to investigate that memo its origins and how in the world anyone could come to those conclusions
0: of course this is i mean this you know, someone needs to remind uh, folks, some folks at the FBI that we have this thing called the First Amendment, the very first right you have under the First Amendment, is the right to practice your faith uh, and not be, a, not be attacked or, or investigated by your government for doing so. Uh, so, of course, we're going to investigate. This is, this is as wrong as it gets. But, but, frankly, it's sort of consistent with what we've heard from uh, whistleblowers, FBI agents who've come talk to us, Uh, talk to us about the political nature that now exists at the Justice Department and and within the FBI. So, of course, we're going to investigate this. And it sort of fits in with the same thing we saw, the memorandum a year and a half ago that launched this attack on parents who were showing up at school board meetings, the idea that you're going to have the federal government get involved in a local school board matter. If there's something wrong happening there, let the local law enforcement deal with it. Don't make it a federal issue, for goodness sake. But this seems to be the pattern. And, of course, we're going to investigate uh, all of this and uh, all of these uh, issues.
1: Now, Chairman Jordan, uh, that memo relied specifically on the Southern Poverty Law Center. It is not credible. I would like to have you subpoena the head of the Southern Poverty Law Center and talk to them about how they decided that Latin mass attending Catholics are a national security threat. Is there any plan to get the SPLC before the committee so we can establish once and for all they are not credible?
0: it was a couple years ago it was the Southern Poverty Law Center who said the Family Research Council yes. you know, some kind of was doing something wrong and then you know what happened we hear this from the left all the time and we with those of us on the conservative side we just don't like to talk about this stuff but but what happened was someone came into the Family Research Council and shot people um, shot the, the i think the attendant at the at the front desk I'm trying to remember how that security all
1: guard out. security guard yeah, it wounded was
0: ter- it was ter- terrible what happened and and this guy was like if I remember, there was something about he had Chick-fil-A sandwiches he was going to bring in. It was this this lefty attacking conservatives, and it made no sense, but it was after the Southern Poverty Law Center had said something, I think, similar about the Family Research Council uh, as as you know what they did with uh, uh, the, the traditional Catholics. So w- we're focused on a number of things. The, the most recent that deals with the, some of the people you talked about there is the 51 folks who signed this now-famous letter, uh, 51 former intelligence officials, where they said that, oh, this has all the classic earmarks of a Russian information operation, referring to the, the Hunter Biden laptop story. Um, so we're, we're looking at that, and it's been interesting in the last couple of days that Mr. Clapper suddenly changed, and, and he's saying, well, we said it could have been Russian information operation. Well, that's certainly not what you conveyed at the time. That's not how the press conveyed it at the time. And you certainly didn't say that in, in just those, those days before, the, uh, the most important election we have in our country, which is the election for President of the United States. So we're, we're folks in that area right now and, and beginning to get information and having people cooperate with us uh, who were part of that uh, 51 folks who signed that uh, signed that now-famous letter.
1: What about these three specific people, Clapper, Brennan, and Comey? Are you going to bring them, put them under oath, and let the American people hear an explanation of that meeting? Because I've never heard it, and I need to hear it, because I think that is the source of the... Russia, Russia, Russia hoax that did so much to destroy this country's momentum in the last five years?
0: Yeah, we, we got everything is on the table for what we're going to do. We're we're actively trying to get information from uh, these various agencies. Uh, we're we're going to we're talking with whistleblowers. We've now our third deposition of FBI whistleblower happens today. We've had two in the last couple of weeks. We're going to continue to build. And if that's where the, our investigation leads, then we're happy to do that.
1: Congressman Goldman, after one hearing, said there's nothing there. There's no there there. Now, of course, Congressman Goldman is part of the shift fiasco. So <laughs> yeah. there's, it's not likely he's the best source. But he's on your subcommittee. What do you do with yeah. people who, who do not have the ears to hear or eyes to see?
0: Yeah, well, there used to be a time uh, where, uh, Hugh, where the Democrats actually valued the First Amendment. Because remember, part of this is, and we had, we had Professor Turley as one of our witnesses last week in our first hearing, uh, and I thought he coined the best, the best phrase when he said, we now have censorship by surrogate, where you have the FBI pressuring and priming big tech companies, and we know this because of the Twitter files, to take action that the government couldn't otherwise take. And, and that's exactly what happened uh, in, the, in the run-up to the 2020 election and with other issues, Russia issue and everything else. So it used to be Democrats valued the First Amendment, valued particularly the right to speak in a political fashion and not be harassed for doing so. Uh, but that doesn't seem to be the case now. So I, I even said in my opening statement, I hope Democrats will work with this. The Constitution is not partisan. The First Amendment's not partisan. Equal treatment under the law. It should not be a partisan issue. It should be what we all embrace because it's a, it's America. Coming up. It probably requires a new president to put in, in place the, the kind of people across the administration who understand that the government is supposed to serve the people, not target the people.
1: I continue my conversation with Chairman Jordan. when the Town Hall Review with Hugh Hewitt returns in a moment. Stay with us.
3: America is giving away its inventions and technology to China.
1: The Chinese
6: Communist
3: Party intends to surpass us and to be the world leader in innovative technology. The shocking new movie, Innovation Race. The potential Chinese takeover of 5G and the Internet, threatening America's economic and military security. Dominating technology means you dominate the world itself. Watch the movie Innovation Race now on demand or DVD at SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com.
1: Welcome back to the Town Hall Review with Hugh Hewitt. Brought to you in partnership with the Pepperdine Graduate School of Public Policy. Delay, deny, and obstruct. This is what I am expecting from Democrats as Chairman Jordan takes up the effort of much-needed oversight and accountability. The Democrats on the committee and key elements within the nation's bureaucratic agencies are lining up against him. Let's pick up on my conversation with Ohio Congressman Jim Jordan. I don't believe the Democrats will cooperate for one day with you. How long will you give them in a grace period before the subpoenas start to fly?
0: Well, we've already said some, uh, and, and we're going to continue to use the compulsory means to get information, use every means we can to get information. Uh, but you're right. I, I have my doubts. The, the, the very day we debated the resolution on the floor, uh, creating the House, uh, the, the select subcommittee, um, I think it was Rep- Representative Nadler said, we're going to fight you guys tooth and nail. I think Hakeem Jeffries, the minority leader, said the same thing. So, again, that's unfortunate. But uh, if that's a, if that's a, the path they take, then we're going to we're still going to do our work because constitutionally we're required to do oversight, part of our duty, and then we're going to come up with the legislation that we think will help fix the problem. That's that's what we're also supposed to do as legislators, and we're committed to accomplishing our goal.
1: Now, when you say weaponization, I think the bureau. Now, I know the bureau. I worked with the bureau when I was at Justice. I think the bureau is extraordinarily competent in some areas, but the politicization is obvious. I blame Comey primarily, but. Yep. Uh, stroke yep. and others throughout, how do you fix the the personnel policy? I ran OPM for years. How do you get the new director, the authority to get rid of the problem politicized partisans in the Bureau's ranks?
0: I think one, it, it probably requires a new president to put in, in place the, the kind of people across the administration who understand that the government is supposed to serve the people, not target the people. Uh, second, I do think you have to keep as much power out in the field offices, not in the Washington field office and in the headquarters, uh, we heard that theme now several from, from, the, from uh, our whistleblowers. we heard it from our witnesses last week, Nicole Parker and Tom Baker, who are former FBI officials. So I, I think those two things make sense. And then, frankly, we're going to have to change some things. Like one of the things that I think is interesting is why does everyone keep a security clearance when they leave government? I, I would bet those 51 former intel officials who signed that now-famous letter I would bet they all still have a security clearance. Maybe that's not a good thing. Maybe there's a reason for it, but I think that's something we should look at. There's a host of things I think we need to, to examine um, and, and recommend legislatively how those things can be corrected and improved, and we're going we're to look at all that.
1: Now, Mr. Chairman, speed matters here. This cannot be a two-year you know, march through the desert. How quickly will any of the 51 appear in public so the, the people of the United States understand that they were just wrong, wrong, wrong yeah. on Hunter Biden. I'm not even concerned about Hunter Biden. I'm concerned that the American people understand that people lie for political reasons, or they jump to the conclusion that serves their narrative.
0: Yeah, we're gonna we're gonna push to go as fast as possible. Uh, we have a number of hearing ideas that are that are lined up, but at the same time, you got You got to go get the documents. You got to do the depositions, and so it's 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 all the above, and that's the only way you get to the facts. I, I'm already amazed at some of the things we've learned from the whistleblowers that, that you know, we just didn't know, the pressure from the Washington field office and headquarters on, on going after people uh, who were in the, in the nation's capital on January 6th, people who didn't do anything wrong, and yet they were being pressured to investigate these folks. If people did something wrong, of course you're going to investigate those. And we heard from a guy in the Boston field office who said, yeah, the, the Washington field office told us, you need to investigate these two people. Here's a picture of them in, inside the capital. Here's the other 138 who were on the two buses that came down with this group. Uh, We want you to investigate them as well. And they said, well, on on what basis? Uh, Well, you need to investigate them. Are you having pictures of them in the Capitol doing anything wrong? Any evidence? They go, no, 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 we just investigate them because they came down with these other two guys. And they said, no, we're not going to do it. You're allowed to, in America, attend a political rally. It's called First Amendment Protected Speech. You're allowed to do that. We'll investigate the guys who deserve to be investigated, but we're not going to investigate the other 138 that you want us to. So that's the kind of political influence that we see. So the more we learn, I think that'll point us to who we need to have in front of us in a public hearing. And then we'll make sure we do that.
1: All right. Last couple of questions, Mr. Chairman. Uh, I want to come back to Director Comey. The original sin, everything that went wrong in America goes back to that January 6, 2017 meeting. So I want the director under oath being questioned by you in control of the gavel. What is the latest date by which that will happen?
0: Well, I, I don't know. It, it'll, it'll be in the, in the course of this Congress because we have this, this select subcommittee, as the Speaker's done, is, is, is for this Congress. I do agree with you. That meeting, I think, was critically important because also remember what Chuck Schumer said. He said, you mess with the intelligence community. They have six ways from Sunday to get back at you. That was at the same time that this meeting then took place where they went up there to set up President Trump and his team before he ever assumed office. So that's how that's how serious that meeting was. Um, and we do need to make sure we get all the facts to the American people.
1: Coming up, economist Stephen Moore on our nation's spending problem. We are a
6: locomotive that is speeding towards a cliff. And we're going to head over that cliff if we don't
1: slow this locomotive down. When the Town Hall Review with Hugh Hewitt returns in a moment.
5: In 1966, Time Magazine asked, Is God dead? Now bestselling author Eric Metaxas takes that famous question and turns it around when he asks, Is Atheism Dead? In his bestseller titled, Is Atheism Dead? Metaxas offers a provocative answer as he shows atheism to be not only implausible and intellectually sloppy, but also demonstrably ridiculous. Get your copy of Is Atheism Dead? Available now at Amazon.com and wherever books are sold.
1: Welcome back to the Town Hall Review with Hugh Hewitt. The latest inflation numbers came out this week. And I probably don't need to tell you, they were not good. You're living it, feeling it, every time you go to the grocery store, every time you pay your utility bill, every time you fill your tank. Consumer prices were up 6.4% on an annual basis. But food prices year over year are up a full 10.1%. Charlie Kirk
7: turned to veteran economist and columnist Stephen Moore. Steve, unfortunately, uh, we have you back on because of the bad inflation news. Uh, I love having you on, but it's like, oh boy, it's bad inflation. Who can explain the economic Armageddon? What is the new? What, what is the news today, and what is the significance of it?
6: Charlie, good to be with you. By the way, uh, you know I, I'm only on your show when we have bad news. I know you.
7: <laughs> you are. It, it's It's like you're the hurricane guy when we bring up yeah, exactly the
6: weatherman. man. Um, So, yeah, we got uh, some surprisingly bad numbers today, and I was surprised. I thought we had made more progress in bringing inflation down. So I'll I'll do a mea culpa myself that I I was surprised by these numbers. Um, So we we got a 0.5% increase in inflation, which on an annual basis is like 6.4% inflation at the very time that we thought we'd turn the corner on this. So, uh, by the way, they also revised um, upward the inflation numbers over the last three or four months, a little higher than we're initially thought. That may explain, by the way, when I come on shows like yours and I say, you know, the inflation rate is six and a half or seven percent, people get angry at me. <laughs> and they say, what is he talking about? It's not six or seven percent. The inflation rate's, you know, closer to nine, ten, twelve, fifteen percent. Does this guy go to the grocery store? Does he uh, fill up his tank for gas? And uh, now I feel people's pain because, you know, prior to the right before the Super Bowl, I went with my wife to, you know, stock up on everything from chicken wings to uh, potato chips, and and I couldn't believe what things cost. So I feel your pain, (laughs) folks.
7: Yeah, it's the uh, Bill Clinton, I feel your pain. So let me ask you, Steve, we could definitely beat inflation, obviously, but would that require us intentionally going into a recession?
3: No,
6: no, 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 no. That's completely wrong. I know you're just, you know, you're kind of regurgitating what the the economic uh, leftists say. You know, if it, It's very simple. My buddy, uh, Arthur Lapper, explains this better than anybody. If the economy produces more apples, the price of apples goes down and it's not; it doesn't go up. So we need to produce more goods and services. Uh, putting people to work does not cause inflation. I hate that argument. Uh, under Reagan, we had declining uh, inflation and a declining unemployment rate at the same time. Same thing under Trump. Remember, Charlie, it was only two, three years ago we had the best jobs numbers ever and the best inflation numbers ever. So I I hate that logic that somehow you have to crash the economy to get inflation uh, down. Too many people at the Federal Reserve Board believe that. I I want growth. I want prosperity. I want people to make more money. But uh, we're not seeing that right now. What really worries me, my biggest worry right now um, is that look at the debt uh, that people, not just the national debt, which everyone knows is out of control under Biden, but more and more Americans are going into debt just to just keep maintain their current living standard. Uh you may have seen the report on box uh news the other day that more and more Americans are um are having to take money out of their 401k plans to yes. pay bills. That's a terrible idea. You pay a huge tax penalty for that. The other thing so many That's Americans exactly are having right. to, yeah. the other thing people have to do now, which is re- also a really bad idea is they're running up their credit cards.
7: Did you see the numbers
6: out? A trillion dollars on credit card debt. You know, if you don't pay that, if you don't pay that, you're going to pay penalties Mm -hmm. 15 or 20%. It
7: it could crush you. And I just want, you said this last time, Steve, and Mm -hmm. I don't give, you know, financial advice. But I will say this. Do not take money out of your 401k. That is the one piece of financial advice. <laughs> yeah, it, that's it, good it, advice. The, the tax code is, is written for it to grow and to mature. You guys, I think, what is it, a 25% haircut, Steve, or plus income tax or 10% plus the income tax rate? It, 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 the penalty is extraordinary. It is not worth it. It is better for you to not take that summer vacation or to eat at home for a month. Please do not touch your 401ks, everybody. The tax code is merciless and brutal for Bye. you. Can you just comment on that a second, Steve? Because a lot of people are doing it. If you look at the reports, Charles Schwab and you know, these money managers, if you go into the 94th page of their earnings call, they say, uh, this quarter we had 117,000 people you know, request distributions preemptively from their 401k before they're 59 and a half. I'm like, whoa, that is so bad, Steve. Your thoughts on that?
6: Yeah, like, you know, this is a nest egg, right? A nest egg that you build up over your working yes. years so that you can, you know, have a, a nice retirement. And if you start, uh, you know, going into that account earlier, you're right, you're going to pay a bit. I don't remember the exact number, so I can't say, but there are substantial penalties yes. that you're going to pay. And you're, you know, and don't forget, we were the ones that the Committee on Unleashed Prosperity back six months ago that did that report that was, uh, you and I talked about, it was blasted all over the place that people lost about $35,000 in their 401k plans because the stock market was so bad last year and because of Biden inflation. So, this is like a triple whammy that people are taking to their uh, retirement accounts.
7: So, Steve, you know, I I know that you probably get irritated with this question, but I think it's important. Can you try to forecast the next 6 months? I think people mm-hmm. are so uncertain. I get predictions all over the map. And if I were to get I mean, just Yeah, I was just in Palm Beach and, um, you know, was at one of the top clubs and was raising money for Turning Point. And the consensus amongst the ruling class is, look, things are going to get bad, but we're going to be fine. There wasn't a lot of anxiety or unease. Amongst middle class retail investors, though, Steve, people are really worried. Forecast six months out. Do you think we're going to get into a dramatic 08-style recession? Are we going to see stagflation? similar to what we saw in the 70s. What what sort of leading indicators are you seeing that could say, hey, in August, the country will look like X?
6: Well, I'll say this. It's, it's very difficult to, to predict what's going to happen in six months. And, and you know, I, I've been wrong. Everybody's been wrong. Most economists predicted we'd be in a recession right now, and we're not. What, what I'm here to tell you is this. We are on, we are a locomotive that is speeding towards a cliff. And we're going to head over that cliff if we don't slow this locomotive down. Mm -hmm. Now, whether that's going to happen in two months, six months, 12 months, 24 months, I don't know. I don't know. But I can tell you with about 99% certainty that we are on a very, very bad path right now. And this can't continue. $31.6 trillion of debt out of a border that's out of control, gasoline prices that are rising, people going further into debt. I don't know when it's going to crash, but if we don't turn this thing around, it is going to crash and it's going to be very much. Remember what happened in 2008, where almost in a matter of two or three days, the economy just crashed. I I
1: really worry, that's what's keeping me up at night. Coming up, wind power. The
8: whole thing is a bad deal for America. And it's a bad deal for the East Coast, and it's a bad deal for the state of New Jersey.
1: New Jersey Congressman Jeff Vandrew in the final segment of the Town Hall Review with Hugh Hewitt. Stay with us.
4: Hi, I'm Georgine Rice. This week in the Christian Outlook, sponsored by the Pepperdine Graduate School of Public Policy. We'll look at the devastation of the catastrophic loss of life. In Turkey and Syria. Tragedy and death and suffering is a part of living in this fallen world. And why so many are now dead.
0: Well, the government didn't schedule the earthquake. What it did was
5: infect the entire system with a form of corruption. And that corruption often meant that
4: buildings were not built to building standards. And a Christian pastor there in Turkey lost his life. His last sermon was about the resurrection. Plus, we'll look at the state of the church in China. Christians
3: are being arrested for simply teaching their children how to pray and read the Bible.
4: Be sure to join us and visit our website at ChristianOutlook.com.
1: Welcome back to the Town Hall Review with Hugh Hewitt. Wind power along the solar they both been touted as clean, renewable energy that are part of the energy solution for the nation going forward. I've long favored in all of above policy, anything that works. But they've been sold to us as uniquely good for the environment. The proponents of these so-called clean energy solutions don't want us to look at what is happening, in this case, in the water. New Jersey has been pushing wind off their coast. And in the last month, they've seen nine whales wash ashore. Joe Piscopo turned to Jeff Van Drew, representing the people of New Jersey's 2nd Congressional District. From AM 970, the answer in New York City. The Democrats are the ones jamming this down our throat. How did that happen? They were the ones who used to save the whales. So they're the ones who say, oh, clean energy. And yet now they're
8: destroying the beach. We see it. Where is Governor Murphy on all this, sir? Well, Governor Murphy and President Biden are pushing this thing billions of dollars. Uh, I, worldwide, this is an international issue, are involved when this huge amounts of money are going to be made. Your utility bills are going to go up in cost um, yeah. and they're right for it and they're pushing hard on it and they don't care. The money's flowing everywhere except the money's going to be flowing out of your pockets when you pay your u- new utility bills and even the ratepayer advocates said there's going to be a definite increase in cost with these things. So just you know, to really kind of tighten this up It's going to cost more, it's going to hurt the environment, it's going to hurt tourism, it's going to hurt fishing, it's going to hurt navigation, and we don't even know how to recycle the blades because they're made of fiberglass. Um, The whole thing is a bad deal for America, and it's a bad deal for the East Coast, and it's a bad deal for the state of New Jersey. And it makes these beautiful animals, these wonderful whales, when you watch them breach, what an amazing sight. And just one after another after another, I mean, at the very least, we need a moratorium to figure out what the hell's going on. Last thing here, you know what else we've lost, Joe? Our That's freedom, yeah. our freedom, yeah. because we we as, as really Americans and New yeah. Jerseyans, we don't want this now, and yeah. it's being shoved down our throat anyhow. But let me say this real quick: the number one number two industry in our area. Is dependent on clean and beautiful water and beaches, fishing, tourism, all of that is dependent upon clean and beautiful beaches. And, and and a real quick story. So the city of Ocean City said we don't want to t- tie the tables. Uh, I'm sorry, the cables underneath yeah. our ground. Yeah. We don't want these cables under our ground. And so they went to the legislature. This big these big companies and they have the legislature pass legislation that when it comes to wind energy, regardless of what a town may or may not want, they're going to get it, and they have no control over their local zoning or their local town. How's that for American freedom?
1: Thank you for joining us for the Town Hall Review with you, Hewitt. If you like our program and podcast, please be sure to mention it to a friend. Special thanks to executive producer Russell Schubin, producer David Puchon. Jacob Ordunia, Michael Cook, Tim Gantner, Adam Ramsey, and of course, Dwayne Patterson. Let me say thanks once again to our sponsor, the Pepperdine Graduate School of Public Policy. I'm Hugh Hewitt, and thank you for joining us for the Town Hall Review.